0: Thanks for listening to Marketing B2B Tech, the podcast from Napier, where you can find out what really works in B2B marketing today. Welcome to Marketing B2B Technology, the podcast from Napier. Today I'm joined by Evan Kramer, who's the CEO of MotionPoint. Welcome to the podcast, Evan.
1: Thanks. Thanks for having me.
0: So. Evan, I mean, you've done quite a lot of things, uh, you know, in your career. Tell me about your journey and how you've ended up running MotionPoint.
1: Yeah, I mean, I think for your audience that, you know, has a a marketing focus, you know, my my career is quite interesting in how I ended up, you know, getting into marketing and and then ultimately a CEO. I originally, uh, when I graduated college back in the mid-90s, I was in finance and accounting. And in the late 90s, when I went back to graduate school, the internet was taking off and got bit by that, that digital marketing bug with, with internet companies. And so, uh, launched my career, really getting into startups, working for venture capital groups and, and working for venture capital backed startup companies, all really interested in uh, digital marketing. So focused on SEO, paid search, and in all those emerging areas, you know, back in 2000 and the early two thousands. And so I had the, uh, the opportunity and privilege to to launch a few companies to work for for some incubated businesses or even venture back businesses i helped launch you know autotrader.com back in the late 90s for cox enterprises and then was able to go off and launch another online automotive business um, and so really for the first you know the early 2000s really focused within direct to consumer based internet businesses where I was leading marketing and really doing a lot of cool stuff because you know you were able to figure out things like SEO before Google really put the clamps down on the the gray areas of, of that sort of profession. Or how do you optimize paid search? Whereas today, you know, there's so much automated tools that the human you know, trickery doesn't really exist anymore. And so I kind of worked my way through you know, different companies to the point where I became a CMO, a chief marketing officer for about a decade across several, again, high growth businesses that were PE or venture backed. One being a a home security company in Philadelphia that we ultimately sold to DirecTV, where we were able to really become a, a pioneer in customer acquisition costs for home security. Then was a CMO for a software company, again, out of Philadelphia that was targeting consumers that wanted to inventory or organized receipts expense reports through software and then became you know cmo at a a global it company really learning about and first time getting indoctrinated into global marketing and global digital marketing and then became a ceo one for an education technology company that we ultimately had a, a really great growth story and, and sold the business very successfully and then another marketing services company and then now finally at Motion Point. This is my third time as a CEO, all for private equity backed company. So you can see how my journey, you know, really took the marketing track in my in my career and then, you know, then rolled that into the leadership at a CEO level.
0: And it's interesting. I mean I know your your company uh, Motion Point is uh, headquartered in Florida, but you're based in Detroit and we don't have many people from Detroit doing marketing technology. So has Eminem kind of skewed my view of Detroit? Is it is it much more exciting and and uh, you know uh, more yeah. t- high tech than perhaps I think?
1: Well, I mean, if you if you, I'm sure with Eminem you hear eight mile. I'm I'm near 14 miles, so or, or I'm six miles away from all that. But I uh, went to school at the University of Michigan, so my heart. I'm not from Detroit originally, but my my wife and her family is from Detroit, and we recently moved back. And so I think there's a lot of innovation coming out of Ann Arbor um, and a lot of the universities uh, that emigrates into Detroit. Uh, We have a philanthropist that started um, a large company out of Detroit called Rocket Mortgage. I'm sure you've heard of Dan Gilbert, who's invested a a ton of of time and money into the city. And right up to COVID, I think there was a a real, almost a a mini Silicon Valley sort of uh, harvesting in, in downtown Detroit, we have now have Detroit venture partners and and a whole wing of ventures. So what's interesting about Detroit that a lot of people don't know is the size of it, right? So from a geographical standpoint, you could fit San Francisco, Boston, and Manhattan all into Detroit. So, you know, just the enormous landmass that's here, the development, the real estate development, the emigration, I, I think is starting to really grow tremendously. So it's kind of a cool story.
0: Well, that's, that's really positive. It's nice to hear. Let, let's like, move on and, and have a look at, at what you're doing, though, and what Motion Point does. So, do you want to explain very briefly you know, what Motion Point is and, and what they do for your, for your customers?
1: Yeah. So, so Motion Point uh, is, a, is a pioneer in what I like to call managed outsourced translation. So, what we do is, is we take over any website or, or web translation needs for companies all over the world. Right? So if you need to translate your, your website or your digital assets into another language for multiple reasons, we have a technology platform that, that we pioneered called Proxy that enables us to, to completely manage that solution while your marketing department internally at our customers can focus on marketing. And then everything they do from a marketing perspective just gets automatically translated and marketed into a translation experience for that particular entity. So, so that's really what we do. There, there's really two types of main customers that we focus on. Um, given that we're in the U.S., obviously we focus more on U.S.-based companies. One, one use case is where companies want to market globally, right? And so there, we do have Fortune 500 brands that are in as many as 30 different countries you know, operating in you know, 40 different languages. And so we operate and manage their entire experience. There's other, the other persona, or the other big use case that we manage are domestic companies that, for compliance reasons or, you know, for the Hispanic community, um, need translation either into French Canadian uh, or into Spanish, right? So you, you think about financial services, you know, banks or credit unions, hospitals, healthcare government and utilities you know these are companies that that need translation to service the entire customer base as well as you know regulatory compliance reasons so we do that uh, on the and on behalf of them and so those are sort of the two different you know the mix of types of customers that we have
0: that's interesting i mean you mentioned you focus more on the american customers is that because it's your local market it's easier for you or is that because there's a difference between um you know american companies and european companies when it comes to translation
1: yeah there's quite a difference right the eu and and you know even east of that the translation market is much more mature right the u.s as, as a melting pot really probably only for the last 20 years has really been thinking about needing translation and so you know, there's a lot more companies and uh, a lot more competition across the pond, right, that have require different levels of, of service. And a lot of the companies, you know, in the EU, for example, you know, want to work with uh, more local uh, vendors. So I think the opportunities are a lot different. The maturity of the life cycle that the companies are in are different. Where we seem to really excel is earlier in the translation lifecycle of the company, right? So if you are you know, just entering global marketing, right? And you're a U.S.-based company. You're going to come to motion point because you don't know a lot about translation. You don't have the resources um, and you want to outsource it first. And so we're, we're sort of that first line of defense. You know, once you're in 20 markets, there's a lot more optionality about how you think about your total cost of ownership uh, of translation, right? You can hire a lot of localization managers, do more in-house, have a mix of outsource versus insource. And so we're thinking about domestic US-based companies. um, Most of them are earlier within that maturity of that translation lifecycle. So there is a big difference between the two.
0: That's interesting. I think that's that's a really clear explanation of where you sit in that translation market. I'm interested because you mentioned, you know, things like financial services and obviously a lot of people who listen to this podcast, uh, companies that are doing uh, technical products. You know, where where you have a technical requirement, whether it's to be able to explain something in an engineering language or whether it's to meet, you know, um, the the legislation um, when it comes to financial services. I I mean, that's hard with translation. How do you make sure you get that translation right?
1: You know, there's a lot of there's a spectrum of quality. Translation, right? And at one end of the spectrum, uh, you have what I'll call generic machine translation, right? And, and that's the the Google translates of the world, and and I'll even call it the ChatGPTs of the world. We can come back to that and talk a little more in detail about about ChatGPT and OpenAI. But on the other end of the spectrum, it, it, it moves more towards human quality and linguists, right? And so that that spectrum is around more literal translation, right? If I give you a document with a thousand words, I need you to translate those words. The, the next level of quality is what we call transcreation. And so if if you have those thousand words that you want to translate, let's say from English to French Canadian, fully translated human with editing is what you do. But transcreation is taking it to the next level where you localize the, the French Canadian words from English, meaning that it has a localized slang and, and glossary involved in how it is said, not just what is said, right? And so there's a large spectrum. And so when you talk about our clients, what we like to do is we, we work with them over a long period of time. We, we try to get samples. We use the same linguists. We measure quality by having what's called a two-step review process where there's a second linguist that oversees the first and so we we try to hold to a pretty high standard now where technology doesn't really exist today that is really coming really fast is how do you measure that quality more quantitatively right and say okay well that's a 10 out of 10 or an 8 out of 10 and so that's really where the, there is a lot of innovation happening up till now it, it's been a lot of sort of client acceptance of the quality and a lot of qa review But to automate that and score the content, I think is where
0: there's some innovation happening. It's interesting. I I love the way you're you're making a distinction between translation and transcreation. I mean, we talk to clients and say exactly the same thing, you know, translating the words may actually not carry the same meaning in different languages or the same emphasis. So I think that's really important you talked about review and, and and that still being a part of, of the process I mean how do you handle this this process of the the customer reviewing your translations
1: yeah I mean I what we do is we we give them access to all the translations uh, in real time and so they're able to to review it but I think where where motion point stands a little bit apart is we actually have a QA team so where the the client is obligated to review where they want to we also do another QA on our side uh, when we when we provide the content so it's another benefit of using motion point versus you know going direct to a linguist or or doing it in-house so so that's that extra layer
0: that sounds great I mean I'm sure that 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 definitely helps remove some of the problems makes it easier for the the clients to check so that 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 sounds like a really good approach when you get customers and, and they start using motion point what impact do you see in terms of the growth of use of their website I mean you know are you seeing people becoming more engaged and and uh, more likely to convert or do you see a much bigger impact with translation
1: yeah I think I think it's a, a bit varied and I say that for the reason of attribution let's call it right so if you're if you're talking about needing it for for marketing and growth right obviously you can measure traffic right? And you can say, okay, well, we're getting more traffic. If you're a a commerce experience, you can measure sales. And so we do see lifts in that. But where there's a little bit of a blur is around attribution, right? So you know that from a marketing perspective, we're in a multi-touch world. And that happens with translation as well. And so how do you know that if someone came in through the origin site and then went through the German experience, but then came back through You know the the origin site to buy. You know, so there's still not we're still early in that in that with respect to measuring that. So I do think that that again, this is a really interesting category with a lot of you know technology needs and innovation that that we're addressing, and some of it is you know how do you measure you know success when it comes to these translated sites. The other part of the answer is around quality versus growth, right? So the, in the past, you really only had access to human quality, which is very expensive, right? So if I want to translate one word in Spanish, it could be anywhere from, you know, 10 to 20 cents. But if you want to translate one word in Spanish using uh, generic machine translation, it might be a fraction of a penny. And so if you launch in 20 markets and find that two of those markets are not getting a lot of traction, you also can reduce your investment in those markets by reducing the quality and how much you invest in the translation, without having to give up the translation experience completely.
0: And that's interesting. And so, presumably, there, what you're ultimately looking to do is score the quality of the translation and look at, you know, whether the better quality produces better results. Is is that ultimately what you're you're trying to do? And then work out whether the cost um, justifies the the uh, the revenue you get.
1: Exactly. And, and and it also depends on sort of the client, right? If you are a luxury brand, right, the risk of you leveraging anything better than great human quality can really impact your, your experience and your brand experience. Mm-hmm. You know, if you are, you know, a, an informational site, that's not, you know, generating, it's not a lead generation site, there might be more appetite to reduce the quality. And then the third is sort of a hybrid where maybe you are, Let's say you're a fashion site that requires high quality, but you have a lot of areas of your site that maybe have deep links or have very low traffic. You can reduce the quality in those areas of the site to to kind of be more cost effective.
0: That's fascinating. I mean, it, it sounds like, you know, one of the big pitfalls is is not matching the quality to what, what's needed. I mean, are there any other mistakes you see people making when they're you know first embarking on translating their, their website or other content?
1: Yeah, I mean, I think that um, the misconception is that translation is about cost and, and how much the supply of the translation words itself cost, but there's a lot more on the technical side of translation, right? So when you talk about a website, you're dealing with front-end frameworks and i remember back in the early 2000s you know everything was you know html it was pretty straightforward but we've really evolved over the last 20 years in the complexity of websites and how much is embedded in javascript and json and the different types of front-end frameworks and in fact you know wordpress for example which is the the largest market share of any cms in the world you know has multiple versions and updates ongoing and so the ability to just extract, import and export content uh, and translate it, it is is really complex, right? And so being able to identify all of the changes, change content that needs to be translated, the ability to get it back into the site without breaking functionality, right, is very complex. Uh, and so also understanding how to leverage different translation types is complex, right? So I think that the, the biggest misconception is just how hard it is for everything outside of the translation itself. And that's why a lot of you know, customers come to us for MotionPoint is because we take care of all that as sort of a concierge outsource solution. But really, I think the, the behind the scenes, the beyond words component uh, of translation is what's, is what's most
0: complex. That's interesting. I mean we've touched on AI already and you've talked about AI translation and and you know the the issue around quality. I mean where do you see AI going in the translation market? Do you see it replacing human translators ever?
1: Yeah, I mean I think that um you know it, although everyone in the world thinks that ChatGPT is going to you know eliminate everyone's jobs um <laughs> and ultimately you know take over the human race. I don't think that's actually going to be the case here, right? just like everywhere else, I think it's going to facilitate speed of innovation in translation, but it's not gonna replace what we do. Um, It's gonna enable us to have more capabilities. So just to kind of level set where we are with with AI and ChatGPT with respect to translation itself, um, Google Translate is a neural machine based translation. And so as part of a deep learning, OpenAI and ChatGPT, Uh, is another form of of how it's translating. And they are at similar quality levels at this point. There's been a lot of comparisons or a lot of research done to see, does ChatGPT outperform Google Translate or DeVal? And, you know, there's been some where it's it's a little bit better or a little bit worse. But I call that generic uh, machine. If you think about um, a quality score, right, there's one quality score called a blue score a blue score out of a hundred would mean a hundred is perfectly human translated. Zero is it's not translated at all. You know, we were seeing average blue scores for chat GPT and Google translate probably around, let's say a 20, you're still pretty far off human quality translation, but the next level of translation is what's called domain neuro machine translation. What that is, is taking actual, data or content from a specific brand um, and, and training it on the machine so that it can understand the lingo and, and how and the context of how a specific brand uh, markets itself. Um, and you can train and get much closer to you can get from 20 to 60 or 70. right? So I think that the OpenAI and JPT will accelerate the training and move the continuum of quality more towards human but we're still several years away from getting closer to human quality. Where I do think ChatGPT will be more effective is what we talked about earlier with transcreation, right? And saying, okay, well, I'm going to use linguist to translate, but I might use AI to say, how can I say this better in Italian, right? So I think there's going to be areas that will actually help us improve the quality of translation.
0: That's a fascinating answer. I think it's going to be interesting to see what the impact of AI is on on translation as well as many other markets so I've got a couple of quick questions for you before we uh, we finish I mean you obviously as you said you were a CMO before a CEO so from your point of view what do you think makes a really good marketing campaign
1: yeah so I, I I come up through the you know my mentors in marketing were very direct response driven right so I'm very data oriented and test driven and so to me a marketing campaign, is about identifying your objectives and then utilizing the right creative and call to actions and messaging to drive the response rate that you need. And so high response rates is what I target for the types of campaigns that I look for. And so it's always about trying to think through what's the the message that's solving the pain point of your target audience. And so I know I'm not answering by a specific campaign, but it's more of the construct of developing a campaign really needs to be thought through of who are your personas that you're trying to market to, making sure that the audiences that you're buying in your media you know, match those personas and that the messaging solves the pain points for that persona group relative to what you're selling. So that's what all needs to line up, right? And then you're measuring based upon that, you know, what has the highest response rate. So what makes a great marketing campaign is is aligning with that formula and measuring it successfully. So, so that's really what I see. The other part of what makes it a successful campaign is threading that campaign, once you identify what's successful, across the om- the omnichannel. Way too many times do I see companies that have disjointed campaigns where they might be running... You know messaging in social that's different than email or you know it's not consistently messaged or that there's not enough time to let the campaign mature and you're moving and switching to a different campaign too quickly so i think that that's kind of you know where how i look at marketing campaigns
0: i think that's great it's very clear focus on the results which i love a- along the same lines um you know one thing we like to ask our guests is about marketing advice. I mean, what's the best bit of marketing advice you've ever been given?
1: Yeah, the best bit of marketing advice that I've ever been given is, is throw away your opinion and, and follow the data, right? So it's really easy to, because marketing is a, is a very visual reacted sort of medium, it's very easy to have opinions about marketing. And so it's really about the data and the effectiveness of that, you know, I, I sit, you know, with my kids and and watching commercials and, and, and thinking about, gosh, why are, why are they still using, you know, flow from progressive because it's, she's so annoying. Right. But I can't imagine that progressive isn't seeing great results, you know, using that creative. So I think it's really about, uh, you know, try to ignore opinion. And that's even with the hierarchy of, of a CMO, right. So having been a CMO, uh, it's really easy to have some sort of hierarchy of associate level, director level, VP level, CMO, and you know the highest the highest opinion accounts. but it should be that the, the data is what counts. So that's really the, the advice I have been given.
0: I love that. If, if people have any questions um, or would like to know more about MotionPoint, what's the best way to contact you or try the product?
1: Yeah, so I'm I'm available on LinkedIn. You can find me uh, Evan Kramer on Twitter. Uh, I'm Kramer Cool, and then obviously TripleDove uh, at MotionPoint dot com. I've got contacts there that you can grab me. But I'm pretty active on on LinkedIn uh, and in social media, so you can direct message me as well.
0: Well, thanks ever so much, Evan. This has been a you know a really interesting discussion, and I, I know that um, particularly our American clients, a lot of them are thinking about translation and trying to understand it. So I'm sure it's been incredibly helpful. Thanks so much for being on the podcast.
1: All right, thank you so much.
0: Thanks so much for listening to Marketing B2B Tech. We hope you enjoyed the episode, and if you did, please make sure you subscribe on iTunes or on your favorite podcast application. If you'd like to know more, please visit our website at napierb2b.com or contact me directly on LinkedIn.